we got thousands of wins we have an mlb debut and we have fluctuations across the standings across every league in independent league baseball this week so we'll be sure to talk about it all here on this episode of the indie ball report podcast Alrighty, we are back again. Episode number 179 of the Indie Bar Report Podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and let me tell you, we have everything to talk about this week. We sure do. And it's a uh it's it was a pretty insane week, honestly, in Indie Ball. Like it really all leagues, there's there's something to talk about, some good, some bad. Uh but I mean some big surprises, especially as the season it's starting to hit the home stretch, and uh, I mean, some teams are getting red hot, some teams are getting ice cold, and uh, it's it's officially, I would call it pennant uh, pennant chase season, if you want to call it pennant chase, but I think we've uh, I think we've hit that point. It, it certainly is. I mean, we have basically twenty games left in two of the leagues, and then what we saying the Atlantic League, like they're about halfway through the second half at this point after playing about 30 or so games, 40 or so games. So it, we're all kind of wrapping up on this. Penn and Chase season's a good one to describe it. We got that. We got Washington hitting a milestone. We got a delay and uh, some other news from the Atlantic League. So there's a, there's a lot to talk about here, but I guess as per usual on this show, we're going to start it off in the Frontier League and there, of course, we'll start with a little bit of news we have. It's more or less a milestone than anything else. And that's, of course, the Washington Wild Things reaching 1,000 wins in their franchise history. Uh, they reached number 999 on Thursday night. So, obviously, we were kind of hoping that they would get number 1,000 on Friday. So, that way we could talk about it now. Uh, of course, they got the first of those few uh, wins to lead up to a thousand with a sweep against Florence earlier in the week. And then, of course, now a win against the Gateway Grizzlies for number 1000. They join only the Windy City Thunderbolts and the formerly known as uh, River City Rascals, uh, who are no longer in uh, the Frontier League as the teams with the thousands. However, they are also the fastest to accomplish that feat at just a shade under 2,000 games at 1,874 games. So that puts their record at, what would you say, about 175 games above 500, which is far from uh, disappointing. That's a very, very solid record. And they are on pace to eclipse 60 wins this year as they have 51 already with, like I said, approximately 20 to play. So everything is looking up for the for the wild things and of course that is a huge milestone that they reached yeah i mean over the last few years washington has been uh probably one of the best and maybe the the premier uh franchise in the frontier league and of course uh at least over the last few years uh at least over the last few years, ever since the merger was kind of announced and then kind of put on hold because of the pandemic, like we didn't see like a Quebec Capital team in there, uh, despite all the amazing success they've had in the Can-Am League. Uh, but I mean, the Wild Things, they at least over the last few years, uh, they've really picked up the pace to hit this milestone. They've had to do a lot of winning to get to this milestone. 
this quickly and that they have. I mean, they've had a, they've had a terrific season. Uh, it's a great milestone for them and for, for a franchise that doesn't really know a whole lot else other than winning. The season is, is no exception on that front. They have the best record in the entire in the entire league. Uh, so, uh, I mean, this is a really strong franchise with a winning culture. And, and I think this reaching, being the fastest franchise to reach uh, a thousand wins, I think, speaks volumes as to the kind of culture and the kind of um, uh, the, the kind of winning program they have, they've established themselves uh, in Washington. Certainly, and obviously the the only thing they're really missing is a championship in Washington. They had one their inaugural year, but they were uh, the Canton Crocodiles at that point. So, but since they have been in uh, in Washington, PA, they've come up with seven division championships. They've made the Frontier League championship does uh, not dozen times, but but several times over. They seldom ever post a losing record. I believe only doing that a handful of times, three or four times, if I'm not mistaken, uh, across their history. But since 2017, it's been fairly good for them, 19 excluded, of course. But obviously a very, very um, good team, well-ran team that has success on and off the field is what you, uh, it's everything you want in a team. So congrats to the Wild Things. They've really reached a milestone here but that being said the division they are in this year is uh, a lot less interesting i'd say they're nine games up on the next nearest team which would be the schomburg boomers who just passed evansville of course uh who's on a little bit of a losing streak themselves here so we have the boomers getting hot they've kind of taken over and are positioned themselves to host a wildcard game the otters seem to be fairly well positioned about four and a half games above uh, Joliet, even though they are on that losing streak, like it just said. Uh, so the West does seem to be pretty well set. There's three teams that, you know, are deserving of a postseason spot. And then the rest of them are sub 500 teams that need to do a lot of work if they really want to have a shot at it. And even then, I mean, Florence is all but out of it at this point, I'd say. Same thing with Windy City. It looks like they're just not going to have enough, uh, enough time to catch up and do what they need to do. Gateways can up the creek here, and if you're going to say gateways up the creek, then you can very well easily say Lake Erie and Joliet are as well, but they all still have a little bit of time, but I mean, they're they're rapidly running out of time. Yeah, I think we've reached a point where where the West Division is pretty much set as far as the teams. I, I think whether, uh, obviously you mentioned that Schaumburg's playing some really good baseball right now, and they are. Uh, so I guess we'll have to see as far as uh, who's going to host that wild card game. I think that's going to be the big thing to watch in this division because I mean, in, in, in Joliet and Lake Erie aren't totally out of it yet, uh, but they'd have to get red hot. And just given, I don't know, just given how how they've played for most of the season, it's not really something we've seen from them. Uh, yeah. Them be able to be able to get on this much of a hot streak. Uh, so. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the only really thing to watch is uh, who's going to host the host that wild card game between Schaumburg and Evansville. And even then, how much does it really matter? I mean, especially in one game, I'm sure they'd like to host it, yeah. but uh, but um, I'm not sure it's it's really that big of a deal. And, and Washington is far and away the best team in this division. Uh, you would expect them to win in a playoff series against either Schaumburg or Evansville. And we'll, I guess we'll have to see if that actually materializes because baseball playoffs are 
always a crapshoot and weird things happen as you know schomberg knows better than anyone as they won the championship last year Hmm. so um i would say that uh, this division is pretty set at this point uh and i guess whoever ends up hosting between schomberg and evansville i mean schomberg's playing some really good baseball right now so uh you'd have to think that uh they're probably the favorite to do so but of course plenty of time left and them and Evansville so close to each other this could easily change by next week yeah the only thing I would say is I think home field does matter a little bit each team is you know they have a winning record at home and a losing record on the road for whatever that's worth in the case of Schaumburg they are uh, 10 games above 500 at home while Evansville I believe is just uh, nine games above 500 at home but they're both you know two or three games under 500 on the road so that may have some sort of an effect I mean, we'd have to do a little bit of a deeper dive into see, you know, how it's split between these two teams. And even then, I mean, you can kind of discount the, the earlier games against them, right? When we had a little bit of a different roster, some fluctuation in that. But just at a quick glance, it seems to be a fairly even series, maybe a slight edge to Evansville, I would say. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I may say Evansville has a bit of a better shot. They have a lot of games against Florence. I believe two or three series against them left. They have a series against Windy City. They have Joliet here, which they would really like to beat up on. But really, the only difficult series I see left are ones that you could say they're not expected to win are two against Washington. So that's six games of the remaining that are kind of in flux a little bit. But everything else, they have some very winnable series. They just need to start you know, winning these series, I'd say. So I may just give Evansville an ever so slight edge over Schaumburg, but at the end of the day, yeah, I, I do, it does have this feeling that, okay, Washington should come out of the West to be in a championship game. Yeah, and I think Evansville, uh, when you're looking at Evansville versus Schaumburg, I also think, um, I also think Evansville does have a, does have a better roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, I guess on a little bit of a slide lately, but uh, I, I think that uh, again, as far as far as home field, I mean, teams are going to mostly have a better record at home. But I mean, I don't know. One game, I think you can throw a lot of that out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens and we'll see uh, who ends up posting. But I, I think I think Evansville definitely. I, I would say Evansville probably has the better roster over Schaumburg, but again. It's one game. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but yeah. one game, uh, anything can happen in one game. But I think uh, we will definitely have, I think, the, the top three teams in the West Division with the best team uh, far and away uh, in that first spot. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Meanwhile, though, in the East, that's a bit more of a, uh, a dubious assumption to make in the East because we have Quebec at the top, 49 wins. Then in second, we have Auto 44. That's pretty much been the case for the past month and a half. That hasn't done too much changing there. But here's where it gets a little bit jumbled for that last spot, that real wild card spot where they'd be going to Ottawa. We have New York at 42 wins, Sussex at 42 wins, Tri-City at 41 wins, and then Three Rivers at 40 wins. And even the Jackals, I mean, we kind of said that they're out of it. And they I still want to say they are. But they have 38 wins, too. So it's not like they're that far out of it, but they are four games out at this point. So it would require some real elbow grease for them to get going. But they have won four in a row. Granted, three against the Grays, but four in a row nonetheless. 
So the East is still, as we've said, probably the most competitive division in independent league ball, just because everyone's so jumbled. Obviously, the 5 and 71 grays are a large chunk of the reason why it's so competitive when you're essentially getting free wins. But even still, it's like uh, there's no real way to say that these three teams are definitively a playoff team. And while Quebec has struggled and they can shake their struggles that we talked about last week into this week, they've started to kind of level off a bit. It's just a lot of different teams are getting hot right now. And that's going to be something that makes this like last 20 game stretch very interesting and makes me very hard to, uh, or makes it very hard for me rather to confidently say these three teams are in the postseason just because the last two spots I really think are anyone's guess at this point. Yeah, I mean, this division has been has been super fun, and we're reaching a point where it's super jumbled. And I think for the first time, uh, we're at a point where uh, even though Quebec has, has been on a rough patch of recent, I think they're starting to get it back. I think you could be pretty comfortable with them winning the East Division in the regular season, at least. I think for the first time, uh, just based on Ottawa playing some mediocre baseball at the moment, uh, and and the boulders uh, getting red hot. I think you're at a point where I think Ottawa's not so much a lock uh, for that to host that wild card game or even to be in the postseason at all, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's that's really the interesting part. And I mean, how about the boulders? I mean, the boulders, the boulders are just scalding hot right now. I yeah. uh, I mean, granted, uh, they have some wins against the Grays to help to help them out, but you know what? Everyone has like wins against the Grays, so like you can't really use that exactly, against them. Yeah, but I, I but I gotta say, I mean, at this point, the the Boulders' offense is just it's totally scalding. They've had a lot of home games lately. Uh, they and they've been able to really take advantage. I mean, they had um, before before winning two of three against Ottawa, they had an undefeated six game homestand, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, a six and a homestand, and they already started off with a win against Three Rivers yesterday, a, a fifteen to six win. So I mean, this offense is just red, red hot, uh, and especially in that ballpark where ball flies, got some short porches to work for your advantage. When that offense gets going, they're a dangerous, dangerous group. Uh, and so, I mean, it's funny because we've uh, th- this is probably the first time in a while we've seen the Boulders kind of rise above mediocrity yeah. uh in a while uh especially passing a team like sussex who is uh who's so used to winning is it's really interesting and but i mean we've the the race for this uh, the last playoff spot in the east and even the second to last playoff spot in the east i don't i don't think ottawa's a lock for anything right now i mean it's it's incredibly incredibly interesting because there are so many teams that are in it uh, there's a lot of head-to-head games against each other that it makes it super fun. It's gonna be it's gonna be a hell of a race down the stretch. Absolutely. I mean, what's helped Rockland ton is, like we said, they're nine and one. Their last ten, the only loss was a one-run loss at Ottawa in three-two fashion uh, on Wednesday. Everything else has been a win. It was a sweep of the Grays, although that got a little hairy. A sweep of Three Rivers, and now they're doing some real work here against the Rivers again. They're going to have New Jersey, then they're going to have the Miners, and they're going to have New Jersey again. They have another series against the Grays and Three Rivers, too. Really, outside that Miners series, the only series I'm kind of afraid of for them comes at the end of the month against Tri-City. 
but that's at home. And I mean, the, the difference between being at home and on the road for this team is so stark that they're 15 games above 500 when they're in the friendly confines of Clover Field or Clover Stadium, I believe is what it's formerly called. And they're six games under 500 on the road. Like, it's just such a yeah, stark, wow. it's such yeah. a stark difference. And like, this is the kind of team that realistically, if they were in a wild card game, again, like you said it a lot, Will, and I've said it a lot before, anything can happen in one game, especially in baseball, but you got to feel like if they were hosting the wildcard game, you'd feel a lot more confident about, about their odds of winning that game than if they had to go to, say, Ottawa or Tri-City or Sussex. It just feels that way. And you mentioned the mediocrity as of late. I've been one of the people really kind of banging the drum of there's a definition of a 430 winning percentage team where they'll do enough to keep it interesting for a while, but they'll have one or two losing streaks. It just tinks the season. Even at this point, it'd be really hard for them to finish with a 430 winning percentage. I mean, we are through, what, 75 games in a 94, 96 game long season. So, I mean, it still would be possible, I suppose, for them to finish roughly with that kind of a record. But, I mean, it would take such a colossal collapse. It'd be Empire State Grays-esque. And with that remaining schedule, I really just don't see that happening. They probably are one of, if not the hottest team in independent league baseball at the moment. And it's a testament to them to just keep on going and finding a way. While that's also true, the Jackals have also like somehow managed to get themselves back into at least some form of contention. I still don't expect them to do anything. They're still, what, four games out, like I mentioned earlier. It's a lot of work that they have to do and not a lot of time. They have to play a lot of very hot teams. And even, like, obviously teams play better at home as a general rule of thumb here, but they're not that much better at home than they are on the road. It's like a seven-game swing on it between being four above 500 and three under uh, between the two of them. But this is really yet check the schedule time of year. And when you start checking their schedule, it's still two more against the Miners, even though they beat the Miners last night, grant you. Uh, and they beat up on the Grays before this. But they have the Boulders, they have the Grays, and they have the Boulders, and they have the Rivers, and they have Quebec, and they have Sussex. It's not an awful lot here. I'm like, yep, they're definitively better than this team outside of Empire State. So even if, let's say, you were to go 500 the rest of the way home, it's not going to be enough. One game above 500 is not making the postseason in this division. It feels like Three Rivers, given the recent kind of slide, is just not as much of a threat anymore. So really, it's those four teams between Ottawa, New York, Sussex, and Tri-City that are fighting for two playoff spots. And it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see who steps up and takes it. Because even Tri-City's played better as of recent, too. When you mentioned the Jackals, I think... Uh, even though they're even though they're they're still game still game above 500 and still technically in it i mean i think i don't think they're as good of a team really as that as that record states uh just because uh, if i'm not mistaken they're undefeated against the uh, empire state grays this season so some wins yeah, coming from that but most teams um, are too so i mean like in all fairness with the exception of windy city tri city and new york they're everyone's beat the grace. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I just I, I agree when I think you look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, it's a I, I got for the Jackals. It's a big uh, it, it's a big stretch of them. Um, 
especially this week, playing at at the Boulders. I mean, that's a really really big series for them if they're going to want to they're going to want to do it. And of course, uh, they only have, they have three games left against uh, Empire State, uh, but there's there's no easy series for them left. Uh, I mean, yeah. not at all. I mean, they have they have no more. Uh, they have all. Uh, East Division opponents at this point, uh, they finished with a big, I believe, nine-game road trip. Yeah, nine-game. They finished with a nine-game road trip uh, against uh, Three Rivers, Quebec, and Sussex County. I mean, sheesh, that is yeah. that is a tough finish for um, for for any team really. And I believe I believe Tri City is the one who finishes with, with Empire State. Yeah, uh, Tri City does. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, which is a very big deal. Yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, I don't think, even though the Jackals are still quote unquote in it, and they're only they're only four back, uh, I I'd find it unlikely that they uh, that they make it. And so, but I, I think Tri City is the one to watch because it's it almost feels like uh, they they they're playing some good baseball of late, but it's like they just got to hang around. And just yeah. hang around and hang around and hang around because, at the end of the day, they should have three wi- like three wins at the end of the season. Yeah. Now, can they hang around to that point? I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to find out. They're playing Empire State right now too, so um, I think that's going to be the thing to watch, like especially, and that's something that that Tri City and Pete Incavilli has got to have in the back of their head, uh, just because man. If, if we can, I mean, we finish with a lot of, we finish with six great games at home. Um, and if we can just hang around, we should have three wins at the, at the end of the season, which is a huge advantage for, in the division and a playoff race that is so jumbled the way the East Division and the Frontier League is. Yeah. Tri City was the team I really wanted to talk about before we move on to the American Association. But the only thing I'm concerned about with Tri City is again and I'm really obsessing today over the home road split. They're 15 games above 500 at home, 8 games under 500 on the road. After they get done with this series with Empire State, they have 3 at home against Ottawa, but then they're on the road for 6 9 games. So, yeah, you finish at home the last 6 games, but 9 of the of the last 15 are on the road. So that's something of concern to me. But at the same time, though, they do feel like the team that has the most control over their own destiny, partially because, including tonight's game, they have five left against Empire State. That should be five wins. Pretty straightforward and easy. Although last night got a little hairy. You should be beating them by more than one. And we've seen before that uh, <laughs> it's not always a, a layup for these guys when they play Empire State. But they have... Three against Ottawa, then three against Three Rivers, then another three against Ottawa, then three against New York, and three against Sussex before you finish off against Empire State there. So that's what, about nine games, 12 games against teams that are kind of right neck and neck with you that either hold a playoff spot that you're looking to get or are very comparable to you. They're within a game or two of you. If you could find a way to play, say, 600 baseball, and I understand that's not exactly easy, you know to win six, lose four, but it still would be enough in my mind to kind of push them into, at the very least, that final wild card spot. I think there's enough fluctuation in how a lot of the teams around them are playing 
and in the schedules and the teams they have to play that they could very well just kind of slide on in. And this has been a much different team since the All-Star break. It's been a much better team since the All-Star break. They really haven't had too many bad losing streaks. I mean, there's one right around the All-Star break's time where they lost four in a row, one to New York, and got swept by New Jersey. But outside of that, really, it's been pretty good for them since that All-Star break time. I mean, a loss to Joliet, a loss to Evansville, a loss to Ottawa, a loss to Quebec, and that's it. Since that four-game skid, that's really been it. And they've done a lot of really good work since then. So over the last month, they've been just really red hot. And so that's something that I really want to look at them for going down the stretch. If they can keep this pace up, this is definitely the kind of division where the hottest two teams are going to be able to slide on in. And the only team that's really going to benefit from the work they put in for the first two and a half months of the season is going to be Quebec. And even them, I mean, if let's be honest with ourselves, if two or three teams get hot and Quebec goes on another skid, they may not be as safe. Although at 49 wins at this point, I kind of expect them to be pretty safely in the postseason. But still, that's not quite a layup here. But this is uh, definitely the division to watch over the next two, three weeks of the season as we start to wrap up the Frontier League. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think uh, w- with that, this, the race for that, for those last, th- for that last playoff spot, even last two playoff spots in the East is so jumbled and so tight. I think, uh, you know, as far as, as far as, I mean, Tri-City really has played because uh, they were hovering around 500, maybe a touch under for most of that, uh, most of the pre All Star break uh, games. But I mean, since throughout most of the second half, they've they have been a, they've been a really good baseball team and a fun team to watch. So I think if anybody can, I think if if anybody can sneak in, and uh, especially with the end of the season looming, although granted. They are not a team to be trusted against the Empire State Grays, yeah. as we know. So, uh, so, so something to watch out for. But I think it's telling. I think like what's it makes you think about like what's the what's the impact of having a, a traveling team that's five and seventy one uh, in your division? Well, the uh, the impact is you have seven teams over five hundred. Seven out of eight teams over five hundred. Of course, the East is the better division than the West. Uh, yeah. but I think seven out of eight teams over 500, I think speaks volume of what kind of impact that can have in your own division. Absolutely there. And the only thing I'm going to say, or the last question I'll pose before we go on to the American association is this, when we record a week from now, what teams are still going to be in legitimate playoff contention? I think we can safely say empire state is not legitimately in contention. I'm even willing to say the jackals have too high of a hill to climb to really consider themselves a legitimate playoff contender. Will we have still three rivers and up contending for a playoff spot in the frontier leagues East division? You know, I think we will. I I think we will because that's, that's really the race that we've seen for most of the year. And I'm even willing to, I'd say, I, I think we could see by the end of the week that the Jackals might not be still in that race, but Hey, I mean, three rivers is playing some really good teams coming up as well. So I think they're a little bit more of a question mark, but yeah, I, th- I think they'll still be, I think they'll still be in it. Uh, come, come next week. Will it be likely? I, I don't know about that, but, I, I think that Three Rivers will still be in it next week, and I think you'll still have uh, a race 
of four teams for uh for one spot and i guess we'll see where ottawa is and all of that as well next week absolutely it'll be something of high interest to watch i mean it's only a game and a half difference between hosting the wild card game and having to travel to it so it'll be very very interested to see how that shapes out. But after a half hour of Frontier League talk, it's time to go to the American Association where we've had some uh, some rather large losing streaks as of late. The Kansas City Monarchs not doing great as of late. Two and eight in their last ten. I believe they also had a five or six game losing skid earlier in the week. But the real losing streak this week belongs to the Chicago Dogs, who are currently on a seven-game losing streak. Now, they still have a winning percentage of 590, so it's not like it's that bad. But losing seven in a row is never great. They're still four and a half up on the King County Cougars. And as of last night, Milwaukee decided to start playing football as they lost 24-7. to So not great there. But overall, the Frontier, or the America Association, is... Uh, is a much more interesting division than we thought. Also, the Gary Sawstraw Railcats have won five in a row, catapulting themselves into a playoff spot with their 35 and 44 record. Yeah, I think, I still think the dogs will be, end up being fine. Uh, I think they have a sizable enough lead uh, to still have that number one spot and have their, uh, their pick of the litter, uh, which should, be a pretty easy pick you would think yeah it's just who's gonna who's gonna play gary it wouldn't make it wouldn't make any sense otherwise now i will say you know chicago's skidding when your pitcher strikes out 17 batters in a game and you lose the game i mean that's uh, not poor, great. poor jeff kinley oh, yeah. i mean poor, hell of a poor performance though hell of a performance oh, insane just... yeah uh, unbelievable so i mean that's uh i mean Seriously, like eight and a third, four hits, two runs, one walk, 17 punch outs, and lost the game. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it was a hell of a performance on the other side of it by John Sheeks, though, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, who, went, who went eight innings, allowing only three hits and, un- and an unearned run. Well, then he only struck out three in those eight innings. Uh, so, a tale uh, of two and, cities with the different pitching styles there. One's just going right at you and knocking you down, the other one's just methodically moving, using his infielders, using the outfield. Yeah, different I mean, styles. Sheik's in this outing, in those eight innings, only 83 pitches. I wow. mean, talk about That's being efficient. Uh, efficient, pounding the strikes on 62 strikes out of 83 pitches. So uh, he certainly had a good night. Jeff Kinley had an unbelievable night as far as missing bats and still uh, Gary, who struck out 19 times in total for the game, I uh, was able to come out on top four to one in, in particular. Uh, so, you know, you're struggling uh, when even though Chicago is still a good team, uh, you know, you're really struggling when your starter striking out 17 guys and you still lose the game by three runs. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's kind of just how things are going for them right now. But I tell you what, uh, in the West, I mean, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes are, are not that they're playing great baseball right now but man with the monarchs uh slump uh mm-hmm. of of of, uh, of late the gold eyes who were kind of just hanging in that same third spot in the west for a while now i mean for the first time all season well i think we're really have to have a conversation of wow can winnipeg sneak into the top two in this division which was not even a conversation for the entire season yeah, I mean, like, even even that, I mean, they're only one game 
worse than Fargo has been in their last 10. So you could even make a case of, okay, Fargo struggled a little bit. They didn't have a great series against Lincoln. Could they kind of start to slide on up there? And what's kind of interesting, too, is if you're Fargo now, I don't love any of my choices. Like, you look over in the East and you go, okay, well, Gary's the obvious pick. Even Milwaukee wouldn't be that bad. Like, yeah, they're kind of dangerous, but they seem to be just prone to, like, these football score type games where, unfortunately, they only put up about a safety or a field goal while the other team's putting up two or three or four touchdowns on them. So that's not even that bad. Even King County's not the worst pick in the world, even though they're very hot as of late eight and two uh, in their last 10. But if you're Fargo, you go, okay, we've got Kansas City. That's a tank, although they are slumping right now. They're kind of stuck in the mud, but you still wouldn't willingly choose them to play. You have Winnipeg that's been probably the highest team in the second half and one of the better teams in the league across the board, probably the third best team in the league across the board. And then you have Lincoln, who you as a team have struggled with as of late and who now has Justin Bird back who's on loan from uh, from the Mexican League team that he's with. So you don't really have a slew of great options to pick from. I imagine it's still Lincoln, of course, because they're the worst of the teams there, but it's not exactly a great choice to have. I mean, if you're Fargo-Moorhead, even Sioux City gave you some troubles. I mean, by and large, they handled them, but they gave you some troubles as of late. So it's not great there, but to more of the point of Kansas City being kind of in trouble... I could see them falling to third. Just, I'm really a big believer in Winnipeg. I think I said it a couple weeks back where it's like, kind of watch out for Winnipeg. They got hot. They're playing good baseball as of late. Maybe they could do something. I think at this point, I'm willing to say I like them to be that second place team. I don't think they're going to quite have enough to catch Fargo. I think they'll fall probably like a game or two short of it just because the Red Hawks have been pretty consistently good throughout the year. I mean, they have nearly a 650 winning percentage. It's kind of just crazy uh, at this point. But they're only two games back at Kansas City. They have enough of a... I don't even want to say they have too many standouts, like individual standouts, although they do have a handful. It's just as a team, they just kind of work. And right now, Kansas City is kind of trying to figure out how to get going again. Now, I think they will. I think they still are a big threat. But the whole, I guess, Western side of this division or Western side of this league is kind of crazy when you look at it. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, it's just to see how Kansas City has, has really slumped as of late, uh, especially against teams that they really should not be having that much tr- that much trouble with uh i mean a team like kane county getting swept at the end of the day in that three game series i guess they won five out of six in mm. in total in that home and home so i i think that that's definitely a surprising result uh one i don't think any that uh, any of us saw coming at sioux city I mean, Sioux City taking a series from the Monarchs. I think that's the one thing that it's not like that they're playing. It's not like they're playing Fargo Moorhead and Fargo Moorhead's getting the best of them or something. You're playing Winnipeg and Winnipeg's getting the best of them. They're losing to bad teams right now. They're losing to bad teams. I mean, they got the the Lincoln Salt Dogs putting up an 11 spot at at on their home field uh, last night. I think that I think that there's something going on. 
uh, yeah. with, with the Monarchs right now. And I mean, they, and their schedule does not get easier. They have, there's, they have, uh, I believe six of, or after this series against Lincoln this weekend, they have seven of their next, uh, seven of their next 10 games are against Winnipeg. So we're going to get it. We're going to, we will find out one way or another who is going to, uh, to get this second spot uh, because there are still seven head-to-head matchups uh, against, against with these two teams. Um, and it's going to be really interesting, but I think as opposed to a team, maybe like Chicago, though I'm not as concerned about, I'd be pretty concerned about Kansas city right now. I really would be. What concerns me the most is yes, the opponents, but they're also adding players too. They've got Ryan Groot John back. They added Malik Smith. You know, they, they're adding good players too. And they're still not really making a difference. And if you can't make a difference with these good players against these bad teams, what happens when you play Winnipeg? What happens when you play Chicago? What happens when you play King County? What happens when you play Fargo-Moorhead? You know, it's it's going to turn into a real mess here. And just to wrap up kind of the Winnipeg point, batting-wise, they are an extremely strong team. I mean, they, they have 50 home runs between Max Murphy and David Washington. And then uh, they have a handful of other guys that really bat well, Raul Navarro being one of them who's a big hit-for-average guy. Pitching-wise, they have really two solid starters as your one, two in Ramirez and Barasa. Uh, they're both, you know, sub four ERAs, 379 and 389 solid there. Tasker Strombel, who has had a fantastic season overall, all-star season, 19 saves for him on the year. And then Blanton, who's been more of a newer addition, 27 games in, 22 innings pitched, but a 161 ERA. So overall, pretty solid there. It gets a little bit thinner, but it always gets thinner in indie ball there. So when you look at the Winnipeg team, they are a bit more distributed, but they're going to win the game with their bat more often than not, at least just by judging as a whole. And uh, yeah, we got Pruitt Jr. to 11 home runs and a little bit worse than the batting average, but he still is a productive bat. Rivera is another good guy batting above 300. Sagdahl's batting above 320. You got guys on this Winnipeg team that are a real uh, threat here. But yeah, when you look at uh, at Kansas City, there's something up here. You don't add better players and continue to play bad to mediocre teams and not be able to find a way to uh, pull it out. Yeah, and maybe that'll turn. Uh, and and it's, it's certainly a good possibility. You don't want to doubt uh, the Fond Arcs, given the track record of success that they've had. But at the end of the day, they're also still uh, 16 games above 500. Uh, yeah. However, when you have a team like the Winnipeg Gold Eyes breathing down your neck, and uh, the potential to not have home field advantage in a in a playoff series against uh, against presumably would be Win- uh, Winnipeg. I, I think it's safe to say at this point that Kansas City and Winnipeg will be pro- will likely be playing one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, in a in a playoff series, uh, but I think that I mean I think it's really time to get, get a little bit concerned uh, about about Kansas City because uh, despite despite of the additions, they haven't been able to turn the tide yet. And not to mention, again, seven of their uh, seven of their next uh, ten games after the after this weekend are head to head against the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. So uh, there's not there they do not have much time to wait around uh, for this for for some of these new guys to get back uh, get back acclimated because they're going to need uh, to win these games against Winnipeg. Otherwise, 
we could be talking about the, a new second place team in the West Division, and that being the Winnipeg Goldies, who have continued to uh, went at times where it looks like, hey, they're they're the pretty clear number three team in this division. They're good, but not Fargo Moorhead and Kansas City good. Well, Winnipeg's starting to flip that script. Absolutely, and I mean having the home field when you're Winnipeg matters a lot more. <laughs> I Way mean, more. If Way for, more. If for no other reason than you just not having to deal with the busing. The busing's part of it that for the travel, even though I mean realistically both teams have to travel to and from. But also getting into Canada is another thing too. Um not to say Winnipeg doesn't have to deal with that with their players, but I mean, let's be real, you've known the rules about getting into Canada for some time now. So you've been able to build our team that's suited to that. So that's something that's going to be, or something that when you build your team, I suppose, is more in the forefront of your mind, as opposed to just, okay, well, we have a handful of series up there, we'll just deal with it. They're like, no, we play half our games here, we have to design a team with this in mind. And so it's it's really going to be interesting to see here. I mean, there's a handful of guys for Kansas City that are doing well. Matt Adams is doing extremely well. They got Jan Hernandez back, or Jan Hernandez back. Uh, everyone else... You'd like to see more Thompson's doing something, Robson's doing something, Kevin Santa's doing something, but not a lot of other guys lighting the world on fire over there. And as far as the rest of the association goes, well, it's pretty much what you'd expect. Everyone else is pretty much staying put. Yeah, I think the the West Division right now is the big uh, the big conversation. Of course, there's the heated races for the four spot for the for the, for the last playoff spot in both the East and the West, but I don't know. I yeah. mean, it's uh, they're not good teams battling for it, so, like, almost, like, whatever. But, uh, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm sure it'll make for some entertaining games on the stretch, but uh, I guess there's some close races for the last playoff spots, but you know my feelings on that. Yeah, we, we've made, uh, made those very clear. Uh, quick stop in the Pioneer League before we move on to the Atlantic League. Uh, the guy that we were, uh, that I, I should say, was mistakenly calling Jason Newsom is Jason Newman, and he is also now the new Pioneer League home run king for single season. 27 home runs got him that record. Currently speaking, he sits at a mighty, let me get the up-to-date number, he sits at still 27 home runs, 96 RBIs, and a 390 batting average and he's also a pitcher too apparently he pitches a little bit and he's pretty solid that too so this guy just kind of does it all uh i feel like that was important to get an update on this guy here because he is a uh, he does just about everything but steal bases and it's quite amazing yeah he's he, i mean he's jason is a legend i mean what else what else can you say i mean he's he does it all uh, and yeah, I mean, he's, he, he could, he could do it all. He's very, very talented. Hope he gets a, a, a opportunity, uh, in affiliated baseball because I think he deserves it as well. Uh, but I mean, man, what, what, what an absolute stud. I mean, really, like, here's the thing in the Pioneer League, too, he's only throwing 12 innings, so it's not like he's a dedicated pitcher here. 12 innings and 12 games. He has six saves, though, somehow in the year and it's 10 awesome strikeouts. Enough. Yeah, and he only has a 450 ERA, which for the Pioneer League is pretty solid. I'm not gonna lie. 
It really, it really is, and it shows that they, they trust him enough to put him in in safe situations, which yeah. is which is just that's just crazy. It's I don't, just crazy. I don't know how he, this dude has this kind of. Uh, I don't know how we didn't pick up on this guy sooner. To be quite honest, it's okay. We'll, we'll be better. We'll be better. We got to be better when it comes to Jason Newman. Jason Newman got to make a point of that. Although my guy Montana quickly maintaining that three twenty seven. Uh, ERA according to baseball reference because I don't think they've fixed the uh the whole issue with not displaying pitchers under the individual stats. Did they fix it? Well check. when you have a name when you have a name like that, then it's okay. Oh, oh no, and they fixed it. Okay, very good. Very good. Yeah, it's all fixed now. We can actually see all the pitchers and whatnot, but I can't find their ERA. So we're not gonna spend too much time on this. Gonna quickly just throw one more point in on the Pioneer League before we go to the the Atlantic League which is in the second half standings now. It's a three-way tie in the North for first place. All teams 13-8. and eight. That is Missoula, Idaho Falls, and Great Falls. Missoula won the first half, though, so no real concern for them over there. Everyone else is four or more games out in the North. Over in the South, it's starting to have some separation. Four games separate first and second place. Everybody else is kind of hanging around, except for Boise, who's 10 games under 500. Grand Junction leading the way with a league-leading second-half record of 15-6. and six. That is good for a 7-14 winning percentage. Good for them. Good for them. They're running the South Division, and then I guess the North one will be very fun for the second half. Exactly. So we'll continue our weekly check-ins over there. And with that said, we go to the Atlantic League, where we have a little bit of off-the-field news, and then we'll get into our usual discussion points on the Atlantic League, seeing as not much has changed, really, as far as standings go. But in other news, we have, as most of the baseball fans that probably are aware of, Winton Bernard. He made his Major League debut. Why are we mentioning Bernard? Well, we're mentioning because he did play, what, about half a season in the Atlantic League, and then he also played in that uh, pop-up Sugarland League as well. Yeah, he did, and he was a he was a really good player for for the Skeeters as well. I mean, he was he was an outfielder who could kind of do it all. He could good speed, he could really hit. I mean, he's a guy that uh, was a big part uh, of those Skeeters teams, and uh, you know, to see him get one get an opportunity with the Rockies in AAA, and then finally get the call up for his for, for his uh, major league debut at 31 years old. I mean, uh, the video if you haven't seen it on Twitter. Uh, go check it out of him um, calling, FaceTiming his mom and telling him. I mean, it's just an awesome, awesome, uh, uh, what, what a great video. And uh, I, I think that it shows how much, it shows the ride that Winton Bernard's been on. He hasn't given up. Uh, he, th- he's grinded out in indie ball, grinded it out in the minors and in AAA and finally got the opportunity. And he got his first big league hit last night. So, yeah. uh, so good for him. Uh, uh, an and, amazing story and where I think we're all pulling for him. Yeah, and he stole a base and he scored a run too. All in all, a pretty productive uh, first uh, major league game there. So definitely definitely something to be proud of. And you weren't kidding. He was a productive player for Sugarland. Batted 314 and had 14 doubles and six home runs. Pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a, he was a really good player. So, uh, so hoping for the best for him. Hoping he can stick in the in, with the Rockies a little bit. Well, we'll have to see what happens, but uh, but just an awesome, awesome story for a guy that's really earned, who's really earned that opportunity. Definitely has, and hopefully he'll be able to just, uh, hopefully at least roster-wise he can get to September, because once he gets to September, he should be fine. 
Exactly, exactly. And even though they, I think, I think the rule at this point is you can only get up to 30 at this point uh, instead of the uh, the old 40-man rosters yeah. uh, that, that they would call up in September. But, uh, but I mean, regardless. It's the Rockies. Can, it's the Rockies. They don't really know what they're doing at all for the most part. They kept calling up Winston Bernard. Then yeah, they know exactly. what they're doing in that sense. They got to win in that regard, so... On that note, we'll go to the other bit of Atlantic League news before we get into their play, which is we have an update on the Hagerstown ballpark. As most of us know, the plan was they'll use wild health genomes for one year as kind of a traveling team that's not a traveling team, so that way the play doesn't drop off a la Houston Apollos, a la uh, Empire State Grays. And then in 2023, Hagerstown will come in, take their place all will be well and good. That's not going to happen now because the ballpark facility has been delayed to 2024. Uh, they've apparently, part of the holdup here is they need to acquire a 1.3 acre piece of land that currently has a car wash on it known as the Hagerstown Auto Spa. And that is appraised at 1.7 million. And it probably is a, a bit of held up by the fact of that's going to cost more because Maryland wants to build the stadium there. So if you're the owner of it, you could kind of try to get a little bit more out of them for it. Um, designs have yet to be finished, but demolition and utility work are, be- are set to begin in September. And uh, the stadium should be approved, uh, or the contract was approved to build it with Turner Construction for $7 million there. So uh, it should be about a year and a half to build it. So if we start getting going now in September, then it should be ready to go in time for opening day of 2024. That is, of course, assuming we don't hit any more uh, issues along the way, of course. If there's a construction delay, if there's a problem getting materials, if there's some sort of an issue like that, then that could very well delay it even further. And then you'd have a situation of, well, maybe we have to do what we saw happen with, I believe, Somerset, where they can't really start at home, so they'll begin the year playing home games at a different ballpark. Perhaps it'd be Southern Maryland's ballpark. It would be their home ballpark till like, say, the second half of the season, and then they would start the second half at home. Something like that might be the case here. But either way, uh, they've hit snafus. They're going to need to uh, get that kind of sorted out here. And at best case scenario, they would be starting in uh, 2024. Yeah, I think when they first said that, uh, when this whole thing came down, that, hey, we're going we're gonna to try and play for the 2023 season, and we're going to try and build a stadium, I think... I think both of us were kind of like, wow, that's a little optimistic. ambitious. Yeah. I mean, God bless you if you can do it. But I think, uh, I think it was a bit ambitious to begin with. And then especially with, you know, the, all the supply chain issues that we've had, um, that, that, that there's been really nationwide. It's, it, it was going to be tough. And especially the fact that they literally have not started building the stadium yet. Yeah. Uh, not great at all so uh you know we we've reached a point where i mean if the car wash is still there yeah that's you know an issue because there's got to be a baseball stadium there pretty soon so um i mean you hope you hope it'll be good enough in time for 2024 
but I always thought 2023 was a bit ambitious. Uh, but I mean, I think now the balls in the Atlantic League's court to try and figure out what the hell they're going to do next year now, uh, after, because the uh, wild health uh, thing really hasn't uh, worked out. No, it has not all. worked at all. So they're going to have to get creative. Uh, if they're going to, um, unless they try to uh, try to do that again next year. We'll have to see, but uh, yeah, not a not a great situation. Uh, I think honestly, it's been it's not so much on the Hagerstown side, just because I always kind of assumed it would be a 2024 thing, just because wow, they would have to build a ballpark really quick to get it up in 2023, and I think we even said that at at the time. But uh, I think that it's it's a very weird situation for the Atlantic League now. We've got to figure out something to do uh, next year now. Uh, for unless they want to do wild health, uh, unless they want to do wild health again, which I don't know. I mean, it might be the best option. I I honestly don't know, but hmm. it didn't hasn't really worked this year. But uh, I don't know. They, they have some decisions to make. Yeah, exactly. And the kind of timeline for this was in May of twenty one. They got everything set and squared to build the arena. Then in uh, September of 21, the Atlantic League gave them the team, and then the bill what became effective that would approve the funding to build the arena happened in October of 21. So realistically, October of 21 is when you could have started on it. You can't really do too much building in the winter because weather is a thing in Maryland. So you could be getting snow, you could be getting other things. You could still try to build it, but then you're going to have hiccups there and I know there's something about pouring concrete in the cold. You can't really do that too effectively from my understanding of it, however limited that may be. So you were always kind of looking like, okay, well, maybe we could start getting ground clear. We could do some stuff here in 21. Then we could really go hard in 22, start building that in, like, say, April of 22. And then perhaps you'd be ready to go for 23 on time. But it just it's not going to really work out here. And now... Even 24, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little suspect on because this kind of feels like one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to start building it. We're going to start building it. And then there's going to be other issues that start coming up along the way here. I just get this sense that we're looking maybe a little bit further than that. And so if we're realistically considering that 24 may not happen, so we may be dealing with 25 which means we've all been talking about this thing for like four or five years at this point, then you got to think if you're the Atlantic League, we need a more permanent option. And if that permanent option is, say, expansion to another city, that could be the way to solve it. Again, I'm always eyeing up Lowell. We've talked about Lowell, how much of track there is for Lowell, what kind of excitement there is for Lowell. I don't really know per se. I think there's interest there. I don't know why you wouldn't have interest there. It's just a matter of finding an ownership group, assuming the current group that had the spinners and whatnot was just kind of tired waiting for uh, for the Red Sox to make a decision. Maybe there's something else in the more southern markets that they've tended to go towards. I don't really know. I do know Wild Health ain't going to happen again. It's really not worked out. More often than not, it doesn't look like they're selling out that ballpark. So that's an issue in and of itself. And it's also just kind of shown running two teams is very hard. Lexington's also gotten rid of most of their baseball staff. So clearly the financial strain is tough on them. It, it's just not something that's going to be tenable here. 
a travel team is way more likely if they really get to this position where they need a team to fill in here. Because I just don't see anyone wanting to spot uh, two teams again after seeing the debacle that has been uh, Lexington Wild Health. And let's not also forget, they put it in a brand new field that's broke, what, three or four times? So it's not exactly a, a shining uh, mark of how to run two teams at once. I think it's just a matter of it's too hard to do two teams with one group at the same time in the same ballpark. I, it just it doesn't really work. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, they have some decisions to make for sure. And um, I guess we'll have to see because... Uh, you're right. I don't think 24 is a given either. Uh, so they're going to need they're going to need to really look for some options this off season because they I don't think the I don't think Wild Health can I don't think that can be done again. So we'll have to see. Uh, there are some decisions to make. Absolutely. There. So on that note, we will go to the way second half discussion on the Atlantic League. It won't take too long because well, not much has really changed. High Point still stuck in. Not even neutral. They're in reverse. Lexington, they're not really going anywhere. I, they may have actually been eliminated from postseason contention. I know Ryan posted postseason odds not too long ago. So I'm going to try and pull them up and steal from him because that's just what we do here. So I'm going to try and find those to get the full odds there. But until then, uh, pretty much the same as hold true. Gastonia is a tank that rarely loses. Lancaster has turned into a tank that rarely loses. And it looks like we're going to have one wild card. And currently that wild card is going to belong to the Kentucky Wild Health Genome. But That's they, right. Yeah. But high, the high Point Rockers only two and a half back. Just saying it would be hilarious if High Point wins it. See, if High Point wins the wild card. I'm torn on that one because it's like High Point was 12 games above 500 in the first half. So on that note, they kind of deserve this. On the other hand... They're like, what, 10 games under 500 in the second half. So it's not exactly like they're doing a sterling job here. Perhaps yeah. I'm willing to say Wild Health, who we just said is not working for anybody, deserves it more because they were four games above 500 in the first half. And now they are three games above 500 here. They're kind of consistently there. I suppose they make the most sense out of everyone, being that it seems like Lancaster's all but won themselves a playoff spot at this point but uh yeah atlantic league postseason it's what you expect yeah i mean the ducks are only three games out of a playoff spot too I mean, don't tell me that so, don't tell me that so just just saying don't tell me that saying. information don't tell me a 12 and 22 ducks team is a game out of i a hope postseason. you know if they i hope you know if they get in the playoffs i don't care how good gastonia is or how good the barnstormers are if the ducks get in the playoffs they're winning that's all I'm going to say. Mm. They're going to win. And I, I I will go to the grave on that. That if they get it, if the Ducks can somehow sneak in, they will win this thing just because it's hilarious. Just because it would be hilarious. They shouldn't be. They've played like so far out of the whole year, like a third of it has been really good baseball, and the rest of it has just not been at all. Oh, yeah. And I finally found Ryan's playoff odds, which I'm stealing from just so he knows I'm stealing from them. But uh, apparently Charleston Dirty Birds and Lexington Legends got a 0% chance of making the postseason. This was as of August 9th. Uh, then we have coming in at just a shade under 2% at 1.4 and 1.1 respectively are the Ferry Hawks and the York Revolution. Long Island sits at 20%. The Rockers at 30%. 
Genomes at 54%, Lancaster at 93%, and then obviously the two remaining teams won the, their divisions in the first half, so they're kind of, you know, already in. They're guaranteed to be in. So really, three teams are pretty much guaranteed. One team is significantly more likely than the rest of them, and I really hope that we don't see a team from New York in the, uh, in the postseason because I will be very upset. I mean, it, I think it'd be really funny, but, uh, but I think that, um, I, I would, I would hope that as far as the wild cards, I would hope the genomes, uh, who have been somewhat consistent this season would be able to, would be able to get into the postseason. At, uh, they're currently 53 and 46 overall. I mean, high point is still have, has a winning record for the season. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch down the stretch and hopefully, Hopefully the genomes are end, uh, are the ones uh, that end up getting in because because they deserve it. Uh, but I mean, I I think also uh, a barnstormers blue crab series also I think would be pretty fun. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that ends up happening. That that's ideally what will happen. Now I do want to just point out one thing before we're done here because I mean, like we said before, the Atlantic League's pretty unchanging, but. <laughs> I found it funny the other day when Staten Island was like, we still have a shot. Meanwhile, they're 33 and 67 on the season, dead last in the wild card. And let's see how many games out in the second half here. Nine and a half. Nine and a half out. You don't have a shot here. Okay. Like, I understand what you're trying to do, but you don't have a shot here. Let's come to terms with that. The no. second half has much, been... Much improved team in the second oh, half. Oh, yeah. The second half has been significantly better. You lost some really tight games in that first half. All in all, on the field, sand maybe the Kevin Krauss decision and issued that little incident, and also the way that apparently Fonzie treats some of his guys. It's, uh, except for that, pretty solid. We saw from Gastonia, you know, you could have a total shit show behind the scenes in year one, and then in year two, you could clean the whole thing up and turn into just one of the uh, best teams in the Atlantic League. You know, it's entirely possible here. So honestly, all in all, not a terrible year. Do a little bit better job marketing. Make that more of a priority than I know it is because they don't really consider it one. Make it more of a priority. Do a better job getting people uh, to the ballpark. You know, get some more people there. Maybe, you know, kind of send a message. We got to make this a better environment to get better players in because we can't keep playing like this. Clean it up a little bit, and boom, you're right back in contention. Because let's be honest, if the divisions look like this next year, it's fairly winnable. Obviously, Long Island's going to be an issue because they're always an issue, with the, save the exception of this year. And maybe Southern Maryland's now a thing, but the two Pennsylvania teams are never really the most reliable uh, across the board, and neither is Southern Maryland. Granted, as of late, they've been good, but historically speaking they're not exactly the most reliable you could definitely get in there and we've seen in the past anything can happen with a wild card so they could really do something else so hey just saying not a terrible first year but you're not in this you're, you're done this year okay keep playing competitive baseball keep making it interesting but accept the facts you're not doing anything else this year no they're not they're not going to be in the postseason this year some Something to build, a second half to build off of, I think you could say. 
Yeah. Uh, but I think they're they're kind of they're they're on the right track. I think after a, a bad first half, but uh, I think that there there is no chance for them to get in the playoffs this season. But I think there's still something to build off. Definitely, it definitely is. So, on that note, I think we've covered just about everything, unless something major's broke in the time frame from which we started recording on this, which I don't think it is. Better the not case. be. It's not. It was. We started at nine o'clock in the morning. We've got it odd. I'm gonna check Twitter real quick here before we go to the plugs and everything. I can't possibly imagine that something has happened here. It doesn't look like anything broke in that short time frame. So on that note, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. If you would like to follow the show, you can do so on the aforementioned Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. You could also look at the website, IndieBallReport.com, to find all the other episodes, including this one, including all the show notes and articles, which I have not actually written in a long time. I should probably get back to doing that, as well as some other things on there, uh, too. And also, you can find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, any of the major ones, and a lot of the minor ones as well. So if you can rate and review on your preferred platform, we'd appreciate if you do that. So be sure to take care of that. With that said, do we have anything else left to add this week before we sign off? Only thing I have left to add, and Nick, I know you are not, uh, I know you are vehemently anti-Major League Baseball at this point, but humor mm-hmm. me for a second. I... Uh, the Fernando Tatis Jr. thing. Yes. I mean, wow. Yeah. I, and I'm, I don't even care, because I'm, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I, I don't really care about the Padres at all. Yeah. But, I almost feel sad. Yeah. I, I really, I legitimately feel sad. Like, uh, it, it was legitimately like a crushing, like a crushing set of news that, uh, that he's been suspended 80 games for PDs and something that, and by the way, if you get suspended for PDs, just, just come out and own it. Yeah. Come out and own it. Don't give me this whole ringworm crap. Like, you, you seriously expect anybody to believe that, that, that you took a a performance enhancing substance to treat ringworm, like just just come out and say it for one yeah. and two. Um, it's a big blow for me because I really wanted to see, uh, and not to say the Padres were going to win the division or anything because they weren't, but uh, it would have been really fun in, in the playoffs to see a team with Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny uh, Machado and, and Machado and Tatis was. Almost back. He was he was rehabbing. He was probably going to come back within a week or so, uh, and it would have been a really fun trio to watch. Uh, but we have, nonetheless, we're going to have to wait till like May of next year because you take bad substances and you want to claim that it's about ringworm. When literally, I, I literally saw a thing on Twitter of uh, someone who was, who was a doctor and was like, and was like, yeah, uh, pretty much that like specific drug. I, it's a long name. I don't even remember. Yeah, it's like. That would be pretty much the last thing you would use to treat ringworm. So that is not true. Um, and uh, so, really sad news for baseball. I was I could not wait for him to come back. I was excited, uh, and the news literally, legitimately, like it was, it made me sad. And I don't care about the boxers at all, but it the the news that he got suspended legit made made me sad. Yeah, like he's the thing too. Like 
I took it to treat ringworm. I would assume either you're seeing the team physician or you have a personal physician who would know you're a major league baseball player. So you would tell them, I cannot take this substance because I'm sure if you said, I have, my doctor thinks I have ringworm. Can I have a list of approved substances or substance that I'm forbidden from taking? I'm sure at some point you would have gotten that list and that that list is available to you that you could then hand to whatever doctor you're seeing going, I can't have anything on this list. Otherwise I'm going to be suspended. So I need something to treat this that's not on this list. Or if it has to be something on this list to treat it, then I need to go and try and get some sort of a medical exemption. So I'm sure he would have been able to do that. So that's just like not even a great excuse. At least give it the, I didn't know it was on the list. At least give that one and try and plead ignorance, which is not going to work. But yeah, if if you're still into, you know, Major League Baseball, despite you know, the National League going towards the, the ways of heathen ball, then the Padres doing that is extremely uh, disappointing now. Because didn't they add Josh Hader too? Yes, they did. And Brendan Drury, Matt Legend, who's playing very well right now. Yeah, so you have a whole, you have a really good team, a really competitive team, which for the Padres isn't always a yearly thing. It's more of a once in a decade type thing. So you really have a good chance. Realistically, your window to contend for a World Series title is probably from August of 22 through maybe the 2025 season before age starts to catch up on some of these guys. The contracts start to catch up. Everything starts to kind of run out here. So you had 22, 23, 24, and probably 25. That was your true window. And now 22 is essentially off the table because you needed Tatis. So he's that year's out. It's going to handicap you to start 23, which granted, if he's supposed to be back in May, how many games the Padres have left? About 60 or so? Uh, I think they have, I think they're like either like 48 to 50 games. Okay. I think. So he'll be, so yeah, he'll miss April next year. Yeah. Okay. So even you could overcome an April slump, but it still kind of puts you behind the eight ball. And in a division where the Dodgers are going to be a competitive team for the foreseeable future, exactly. it's not exactly like you can afford to have a month where you go 10 and 20. That's not really an acceptable type of thing if you want to win the division. Now, granted, I know Major League Baseball made it so that like 20 teams make the postseason because that's what we all want to see is three wildcard teams and some weird ass system. But, you know, regardless of that fact, it still is not the position you want to be in. It still hampers your position to try and win a World Series. And let's not discount the fact that it's a new season. Anything can happen. It's baseball. Who is to say when you get back? Because hasn't Tatis also been hurt? So he really hasn't played in a long time. Won't play for a well, long time. Well, he had a broken wrist. And he okay. was recovered. That's because he was, he was actually rehabbing. Uh, in Double A for the last like for the last about week about Got a week popped in Double uh, A Double A and he was That's uh, and, but that reason was because he fell out because he got into a motorcycle accident. Now was he acting irresponsibly on the motorcycle or was it just kind of a thing that happened? I don't know. I mean, I think in general, when you get a 13 year contract worth 300 plus million dollars, motorcycles you should probably give it up. Yeah, but you'd also think Cespedes would not be, you know, fighting boars on a ranch, but here we are. That is also true. And he, that's, uh, that was also why he needed to, that's why he ended up losing a lot of money as a result of that too. Yeah. 
regardless of that, you know, it's still, you never know. So it's been a while since he's played Major League Baseball. So it's going to be even harder of a transition to get back into the swing of playing Major League Baseball now. So let's say it takes like a month for him to get going, which if you're rehabbing from a broken wrist and then haven't played, you know, Major League game since like spring or early 20, summer of 2021. Well, oh, since 2021. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, he, hasn't, he hasn't played at all this year. Oh, so then it's been a full season you have not seen like live, correct, in color Major League pitching. Oh, so yeah, like a month is more than fair to say it's going to take from to get back used to this. So now it's April and May that you really have to survive without your star player being your star player. So. Now you better hope that June and July are really good because if they're not really good, then 23 has gone to hell. So now it's really 24 is your window because 25 was kind of more or less on the kind of edge of it. Now, granted, I mean, you got younger guys, so it should be fine. But if Machado's the third part of the big three in 25, I imagine he'll be a bit older. Yeah, it's fun times being a Padre fan. I got to imagine. It's it's so sad. It is so sad for baseball. Yeah, so I'm going to just quickly add the thing I have to add here, so that way we don't have this segment run on too long. And that's going to be uh, Little League World Series is happening. I'm glad to see that uh, the strike zones are as poor as ever. The umpiring is <laughs> as, as questionable as ever, but it's still enjoyable to watch. And I'm not going to lie, I was watching a couple of games, and I forgot that it was six innings. So when it got to like, but I remember that, oh, there's a mercy rule. So it's like the bottom of or top of the sixth and one team score or hit a home run that put them over to hit the mercy roll. And then the announcer was going, and they went in a walk off in the mercy roll. Like, it's the sixth inning. Don't they play seven? And then I was like, oh, wait, no, they only play six here. So we're at that point in the year where we all try to remember this. Uh, so that's pretty, uh, it's just, it's fun. It's a little league. Watch a handful of games, although I'm disappointed New Jersey lost last night. In fact, they were no hit. That's not great. Uh, and the worst part is, really, the difference-changing run was unearned. The New Jersey pitcher had a hell of a game. It just kind of ran out of steam at the end, and nobody really got on base. They only think got one or two guys in the scoring position in the whole game, which is not going to win you anything if you can't get guys into scoring position, and then from there, across home plate. So, uh, unfortunate there, but uh, yeah. And also, I didn't realize, but they did a whole realignment. Like, they added new regions, and that's messing with me. I don't like that. How, how, how dare they take out the, uh, the Mid-Atlantic region? Well, no, the Mid-Atlantic still exists. Oh, well, well what is it now? The, the Metro yeah. or something? Yeah, like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and I think think it's Rhode Island for some reason are all in the oh. metro region not a fan uh, exactly like what was wrong with the old regions what was wrong with that don't mess with my little league world series see I feel like when it comes to the little league world series you're all right being a curmudgeon about it because like it's little league it should be this way <laughs> uh well I guess uh I mean, I, I, I am excited once Williamsport gets going. I'll probably tune in for a little bit. Yeah, but I, mean, I will say, I, I think I think some of the whole... The one thing that I don't like about the Little League World Series is I hate when the coaches are mic'd up and go to the mound and, like, yeah. 
let's not act like they're that overwhelmingly positive yeah. when they know a microphone is not on them on national TV. Oh, absolutely. Like, it drives me off the wall. Because like, oh. no coach actually talks like that. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Like, you know what I mean. Yeah, the perfect example is last night in the New Jersey game. After the, uh, it wound up being bases loaded, there were some questionable calls to get him a walk. But yeah, they get the ground ball. It's a custom double play. Pitcher gets it, goes to home. Catcher just misses it. Should have had it, missed it. Run scores. Winds up being the only run that scores from the bases loaded, no out jam. They managed to get out. It was, I think, three straight strikeouts after that. And then when they get back, the coach is like, don't worry about it. It should have been an out anyway before the guy went the first. It's not going to matter. I'm thinking, nah, nah, that mic wasn't on. Maybe reaming that kid out for not catching a very catchable ball. But then it keeps going. And what yeah. gets me too is I knew in the fourth thing in that game, New Jersey was done because the coach said the magic phrase. And Will, you're going to know this where it's basically if you're on a team and you hear this, it's like, oh, we're raising the white flag today. I don't care what the scoreboard reads. We're going to play hard for the next two innings. The second they hear. You're down by like eight runs. Oh, no. They were only down by two at this point. They were down by two, and he said, I don't care what the scoreboard reads. I do. Yeah, it's like, well, son, we're, you have two more sets of outs. You still have the fourth inning because they just, well, they just finished the fourth, so you have the fifth and the sixth still. You have six outs left to play with. It's only two runs. Get one guy on, hit a home run, tie game. It's Little League. I mean, like, all that can happen, you can get a guy on second with two outs, and just have two errant throws and the guy comes home. Like, this is not over. Like, the phrase, I don't care about the scoreboard, is the ultimate white flag in all the sport. Like, that comes out when it's like, okay, we're two runs away from being mercy ruled. And it's only the third inning. So, as long as we play hard, it's okay. Like, yeah, it'd be, accept that's the kind of thing you say after the game. When you're trying to pick up the group of like 9, 10, and 12-year-olds or 11, 12-year-olds, that's what you say afterwards on the bus back to New Jersey. That's not what you say in the middle of the game. You try to get them going again, going, it's only two runs. We can get it back. Get a guy on. Get a home run. Get a guy on. Hit something in the gap. It's still a game. Instead of just fouling him off, get it on there. They made a couple of good defensive plays. There's, they've shown cracks. We get something, anything to motivate, not whatever the scoreboard is. It is like uh, that. That just bothers me so much because it's like that's that's the ultimate. We have no expectation of winning, and yeah, you were no hit through four innings and wound up being no hit at all. But even still, like, come on, come on. Series runs. There exactly. We go. That's what you expect on this show. We're getting back to the rants. That's what the people want. But they'll have to wait until next time for a rant. Because until next time, play ball. <laughs>